There is nothing in this earth that is not now a monument to this man. With 71 hot dogs and buns, 12 victories in Coney Island, the champion of the world, Joey Chestnut! Everybody. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories. I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome back to episode number 67. As you probably guessed from that introduction, uh, which was taken from ESPN's YouTube channel, today we'll be talking about competitive eating. I know, it's a little bit of an interesting topic, but the timing is right. The famous Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition is an annual event that takes place on Independence Day, or July 4th, and that's this Saturday. So normally the event is not small. In fact, it's the largest nationally televised eating event in the U.S. with over 1 million viewers. As many as 50,000 supporters have come in the past and stood out in the blazing heat to see the event go down in person. This year will, of course, be a little bit different given that the coronavirus is still present, but you can still watch the competition if you're interested to see if any records are broken. This Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. I'm certain that some of you are grossed out at the thought of watching a hot dog eating competition. You may even have mixed feelings about excessive eating as an event because of world hunger, hunger in the U.S., and obesity. Believe me, I get it, and I'll be sure to touch on such criticisms when discussing the topic. In the topic section, you'll also learn vocabulary and phrasal verbs related to eating quickly. You'll learn about training and techniques that these professional eaters have, and of course, the physical impact that excessive eating can have on the body. If by the end you're interested in getting definitions for all of the vocabulary words, exercises, and quizzes, be sure to visit the classroom at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. But before we get to the fun topic of the day, as usual, we'll do an expression, a joke, and some pronunciation exercises. Let's begin with the joke. What should you do after you buy a hot dog? Any ideas? Relish it. (laughs) I made this one up and it's so good. Uh, Relish has two meanings in English. Relish is a popular condiment that we put on hot dogs, which is made out of chopped pickles. In the U.S., there are sweet relishes and sour relishes. The sour one is usually labeled as dill, and that's my favorite. Um, To relish something as a verb, though, means to enjoy something intensely. So when I'm on vacation, I relish every moment by the ocean. Someone might actually ask you, why is it taking you so long to finish your cocktail? You can respond, 
Oh, because I'm relishing it, right? I'm enjoying it intensely. So let's tell this joke one more time to see if it makes a little bit more sense. What should you do after you buy a hot dog? Relish it. (laughs) So we should put relish on it, that condiment made of pickles, or we should just enjoy it intensely. So man, I'm proud of myself for inventing that one. But anyway, (laughs) speaking of hot dogs and eating competitions, I found an appropriate expression for the day which is a lot on one's plate. A lot, of course, means a good deal, an abundance, plenty. On, in this context, means on top of or physically supported by something that is below it. One's plate, well, a plate is a flat, circular dish that's often made of china or porcelain. It's what your food is placed on, what you eat on. One's plate just means the plate that a specific individual is using. When you have a lot on your plate, it means that you have too much to do, too many tasks to complete. Imagine if you went to a party where everything looked delicious and you put too much on your plate. In a way, you've committed to what you're going to eat, right? You cannot put the food that you've already put on your plate back into the dishes they were being served in. So you just have to work through it. You have to manage the food that's on your plate and hopefully eat it all so you're not wasteful, right? So it's normal to feel overwhelmed when you have a lot on your plate because it's just too much to do. You might also hear variations of this expression, such as too much on one's plate or so much on one's plate. It's quite simple, actually. Let's go through a few more examples of this and see how it can be used in different contexts. Example number one, imagine that you're in college and you are taking five challenging classes at once. By the end of the week, you're expected to read a total of 200 pages. Write three reports and be prepared for a quiz. You might feel like you have too much on your plate. You have too many tasks to complete. If a friend asks you to go to the beach, you might respond, I'm really sorry. Can I take a rain check? I have a lot on my plate right now. I have a lot to do. Example number two. Imagine that you've decided to sell your house. Now imagine if someone decided to buy your house under the condition you'd be willing to move out this weekend. You'd probably feel pretty overwhelmed unless you're an extreme minimalist and have very little to pack up. You might feel you have a lot on your plate, so much that you might not be able to follow through with the commitment. Example number three. I just started watching a show called Dead to Me on Netflix, and the expression a lot on your plate was used twice this week in different episodes. Uh, I'll just tell you one of the examples. Um, So the main actress recently lost her husband, which is not a spoiler, by the way. (laughs) We know that the first episode. And she's trying to raise children and manage a full-time job on her own. All the while, multiple other things are happening that are time-consuming or problematic. So she feels overwhelmed and everyone around her can tell. 
one of the parents from her child's choir group comes up to her and asks her, hey, I know you have a lot on your plate right now, but do you think you could find time to volunteer at a future event? That's it for the examples. If you're asking someone a favor, just like in this last example, you can tell them that you know they have a lot on their plate first and then ask them for the favor. It's kind of a nice way of saying, hey, I respect your time. I know you're busy. I know you have a lot on your plate, but do you mind doing a favor for me? Right. So that's a nice way to transition into asking for something. All right, so let's go through some pronunciation exercises. We'll start with the statement, I'm sorry, there's a lot on my plate. Repeat after me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, there's a lot. I'm sorry, there's a lot on my plate. I'm sorry, there's a lot. On my plate. And the conjugation, repeat after me. There's a lot on my plate. There's a lot on your plate. There's a lot on her plate. There's a lot on his plate. There's a lot on its plate. There's a lot on their plate. There's a lot on our plate. That's it for the pronunciation section. So we'll be moving on to the fun fact of the day, which once again is competitive eating. Pie eating competitions and county fairs go hand in hand in the U.S. Pie eating competitions and the 4th of July are also not uncommon. Today, competitive eating is popular throughout the United States, Canada, and Japan, and over 70 events are hosted nationally each year. Competitive eating in general doesn't come without criticism, of course. Many famous Americans, actors, and actresses have been very vocal about how such events promote gluttony and worsen problems of obesity in the United States. Because in effect, the event shows that eating in excess is okay. Matt Stoney, one of the top competitors in the U.S., admits that, quote, what we do on stage is gluttony, unquote. But the fact is competitive eating events and the Major League Eating Association use their position in the media spotlight to showcase charities, and food banks that fight hunger. In fact, a good amount of money and food is donated each year because of these events. Matt Stoney says, it doesn't really matter if I personally eat two or 60 hot dogs. There is an overall positive impact as a result of this event. Other critics, including Peter King, a columnist from Sports Illustrated, thinks it's unbelievable that a reputable company like ESPN, who televises the event, would, quote, treat someone who overeats excessively as a competitive athlete. Other critics have other complaints, the main one being it's just simply disgusting. So how do you feel about competitive eating? 
Is it good to have events like these? Do you think the competitors should be considered professional athletes? Do you think it's disgusting? Well, to help you formulate your own conclusion on this matter, if you haven't researched this before, let's talk about how someone becomes a competitive eater and what their lifestyle is like. When you literally have a lot on your plate and there's a time limit to how quickly you need to eat, you need to learn how to scarf down, chow down, or woof down massive amounts of food at once. Now, to scarf down, chow down, and woof down are three phrasal verbs that mean the same thing, to eat very quickly. It's something that we all do when we're really hungry, when we're starving. When you scarf down your food or scarf your food down, you might chew fewer times than normal, you might breathe less, and take fewer pauses to chat. Chewing and breathing are also two things that professional eaters need to pay attention to when eating competitively. First of all, breathing needs to be regulated. According to competitive eater Yasir Salem, it's like swimming. While doing freestyle, you may only breathe every two to three strokes. You need to have a rhythm to your breathing or you'll lose speed and concentration. When in a hot dog eating competition, you might find that it makes most sense to breathe only after every third dog. Just like in swimming, messing with this breathing rhythm will affect your overall pace. Chewing also plays a role in speed and resilience. Joey Chestnut, one of the top-ranked eaters in the world, is nicknamed Jaws. He, just like other competitive eaters, regularly trains the masseter muscle in his jaw. The masseter muscle is one of the strongest in the body, and some professional eaters claim to chew six pieces of gum at once to train it. In an article by Mental Floss, one competitor admits to building resistance in his mouth or in his jaws by munching on silicone tubes which is a recovery technique doctors recommend to people who come out of jaw surgery. ESPN's Sports Science Channel claims that Joey Chestnut, or Jaws, has a 280-pound force behind his bite, making his mouth stronger than that of a German shepherd. Perhaps this is why he holds a record of 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes at Nathan's. So we've mentioned breathing and muscle training, but what other sort of training goes into professional eating? It's impossible to become a professional eater overnight. Joey Chestnut claims, quote, the best way I can compare it is the same way a runner gets their body to run 26 miles in a marathon. They slowly make it adapt. They build that tolerance. The first step is by increasing the limit on how much liquids you can intake. Many competitors will drink one gallon of liquid regularly to stretch their stomach. Some, like Joey Chestnut, drink a gallon of milk. Others have vegetable juice. Yasir Salem preps his stomach by eating six to eight pounds of broccoli and cauliflower with a few pounds of 
sauerkraut on top, eats it all, and then washes it down with a gallon of water. He claims that one gallon of water is eight pounds, and if you can drink that in 40 seconds, you might be good enough to compete with the professionals. Of course, practicing at home is not recommended because this can result in water intoxication. Another way to adapt your body into professional eating is to slowly eliminate factors that slow you down. One contestant I read about went to a psychiatrist about his fear of choking that would mess with his head while eating. It wasn't until sessions were completed with this psychiatrist that his times improved. Gagging is another factor that can affect time. The gag reflex is triggered when, for example, an object or your finger uh, is stuck down your throat too far and your body jolts in an attempt to dislodge whatever is blocking the airway. It's an important reflex to avoid choking and swallowing potentially harmful objects. Uh, For professional eaters, though, gagging is an obstacle that can lead to vomiting And if you puke during a contest, you'll be disqualified. For that reason, competitive eaters have an advantage when they can get rid of this reflex. One trick to do so is by regularly scrubbing the very, very back part of their tongues. As tolerance builds, they'll increase the time they do it. This mimics having food crammed at the back of the throat. Another way to avoid gagging and choking is to transition from soft foods to hard foods over time. Even with this training, though, choking still does occur. Some other techniques that are practiced to improve speed, especially during competitions, are the Valsalva maneuver, which involves covering your nose and holding your breath to increase pressure that moves food down the esophagus right? Esophagus is the one tube that goes down into your stomach. Then there's the Solomon method, which was a method popularized by Takeru Kobayashi. I'm probably butchering that. And it involves dividing the hot dog in half and placing those halves on opposite sides of the mouth so that both can be chewed by the molars simultaneously. The third trick is dunking. So when a competition involves buns, for example, the hot dog competition, or really any doughy material, so like donuts and things like that, a lot of people dunk the bread in water before eating it, which helps speed up the process and makes it easier to swallow. The fourth thing is chipmunking. A chipmunk you probably are familiar with. It's an animal that looks similar to a squirrel except it has very big cheeks. And so the practice of chipmunking involves shoving extra food in your cheeks right before the timer goes off. So afterwards, in most competitions, you're given a period of time, for example, 30 seconds or two minutes, to swallow whatever food is left in your mouth. And of course, you can't vomit (laughs) while you're doing that. There are a lot of other things contestants might do to improve their process while they're eating. Some might jump to use gravity in their favor. Some might shake. And these techniques are not necessarily always beautiful to watch. An interviewer asked Mickey Sudo, the top female competitor, 
What do you say to people that say, ew, that's disgusting? And she responded, it's competitive eating, not competitive prettiness. I'm not here for a beauty pageant. So there are many misconceptions about professional eating. In an interview with GQ, Matt Stoney talked about them. He said one of the most common is that this is one of the best jobs in the world. After all, you get paid to eat. He likes to point out that it's not a hobby. It's not just for fun. It's a profession that impacts everything that you do on a regular basis and everything that you eat and you need to train. During a competition week, he and other competitors will have around 10,000 calories a day. Also, it might sound like a perk that you get to eat, but most competitions and training sessions do not involve well-rounded meals. At one event, you might be eating only Twinkies or only hot dogs. At the next event, you might have only hamburgers or only donuts. Maybe it's a spicy food competition and you have to eat jalapenos when you don't like spice. You might not like the food that you eat, but it's mind over matter. You need to think about the process rather than the smell or taste of the food. The second big misconception is that competitive eaters have very big appetites. According to Stoney, that's just not true. On a regular basis, most professional eaters are on very strict, healthy diets. Lots of vegetables, lean meats, and grains are not uncommon. The fitter you are, the better shape you're in to compete. Matt Stoney emphasizes how competitive eaters don't have what he calls superhuman metabolisms and that they need to do cardio and lift weights multiple times a week to stay fit. Yasir, who I mentioned previously, committed to 50 marathons in 50 states in 2019. The last misconception is that if a person is big, they have an eating advantage. Competitors agree that the size of your body or athletic build doesn't give any indication of how well you do in a competition. In fact, the majority of the 15 contestants that you'll see at Nathan's are thin. Matt Stoney, one of the top competitors, is 120 pounds. The top female competitor, Mika Sudo, is 114 pounds. That doesn't stop Stoney from eating 182 slices of bacon in five minutes or 20.8 pounds of pumpkin pie in eight minutes or pseudo from eating 170 buffalo wings in 12 minutes or 204 dumplings in 10 minutes. In fact, a theory exists that belly fat actually inhibits the ability for the stomach to stretch. The stomach actually has the capacity to stretch four times its original size if there's room. So staying in shape is a must. Now, if you've ever eaten a lot, you probably can remember how you feel afterwards. You might feel sick to your stomach. You might get indigestion, heartburn, and acid reflux. It's possible you might puke, have constipation or diarrhea. Competitive eaters are not always immune to these issues. Sometimes they have no problem at all. Sometimes it may take up to four days for their body to return to its normal state. 
So what do you think? Is competitive eating a sport? Do you think competitive eating events are a bad thing for society? Do you think it's cool? Are these competitive athletes? In any case, I hope you learned a lot of vocabulary in this lesson. For those of you who are interested, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition will air at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. So that's Saturday, July 4th. If you want to watch, check it out. Unlike events in previous years that drew large audiences, this year will only be televised. And instead of the regular 15 contestants, there will only be five men and five women for social distancing, of course. But these are five good men, five good women, some of them that I mentioned today. So check it out if you're interested. So that's it for today's episode. I am incredibly curious if any sort of eating events exist in your country. Trying to figure out if this is only something that's in the United States, Canada, and Japan, or if it's elsewhere. But yeah, feel free to comment on the Instagram post for this week. If you're not following me on Instagram already, it's at American English Podcast. You can find me there. Hope you're having a nice day. Enjoy your 4th of July. And until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.